As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to the show. It's Justin Briley sitting in once again for Ruth Jackson on the programme which brings you all things C.S. Lewis in the company of Alistair McGrath. Do rate and review the podcast however you listen. It helps others to discover the show. Brisket King in the USA said this, I have now recommended this podcast to numerous people who have come back to me with glowing reviews. The production quality is wonderful. The content deep and intriguing. I appreciate that it's not hagiography and doesn't shy away from some of the difficult aspects in Lewis's life, like his spat with Tolkien. Ruth and Dr. McGrath are fantastic. I look forward to each week's new episode. Well, I hope you enjoy what we're doing today on the episode, which is bringing you some bonus material from Alistair from our unbelievable archives. Back in 2013, when we were remembering the 50th anniversary of Lewis's death, our unbelievable conference theme was on Lewis's famous trilemma. Uh, Jesus, liar, lord or lunatic. And we added the category of legend too, as we responded to some of the scepticism that exists in the world today. Well, today you'll hear Alistair's talk on Jesus, the lunatic question mark. How do we show the world a reasonable case for Christ. And by the way, you can now book in for this year's unbelievable conference happening on Saturday the 14th of May, live from the British Library in London. But you can attend from anywhere in the world online. Our theme is God Unmuted, helping the church to find its authentic voice again. And of course, one of our guest speakers is Alistair McGrath, the first time in nearly 10 years that he's been with us at the conference. He'll be speaking alongside others such as Lisa Fields, Glenn Scrivener, Sharon Dirks, Joseph D'Souza, John Wyatt, Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani. And you'll also get a place at our evening event for the big conversation that's happening live that same day in the evening with renowned brain psychologist Dr. Ian McGilchrist and Christian neuroscientist Dr. Sharon Dirks in conversation on the mind and its master. So loads of reasons to join us for this year's Unbelievable conference. Find out more at unbelievable.live and the link is with today's show. For now, let's hear from Alistair. So what I propose to do in this session is try and explore this general area, you know, why is Christ such a challenge to the standards of rationality in our culture? Then I want to move on and look at some ways in which we can begin to open this up. And then we'll have time for Q&A. During the time of Q&A, if I can just remind you, please wait for a microphone to come so we can make sure we, we really get your question. So, What I want to begin by doing is to emphasize that in the New Testament, it is made very, very clear that the Christian faith and Jesus Christ is a stumbling block, 
a scandal, something that is difficult to understand. Uh, Paul, for example, talks about the gospel being folly, stupidity. In other words, it's something that is seen as out of line, out of sync with contemporary culture. And I think we need to try and see this in a right perspective. We might say, well, of course, this means Christianity is wrong, so let's just try and assimilate to something our culture can handle. And I want to suggest you don't do that. What I want to say to you is that the reason that the gospel seems sometimes out of sync with our culture is that we need to challenge our culture to rethink and that very often our culture will talk about something being irrational when what they really mean is it has got hold of something which lies beyond the ability of our culture to understand it. Let me try and explain what I mean. When people say, I can't understand that, it can mean two possible things. Number one, it doesn't make sense. Number two, I just can't get my head around it. In other words, it's too big for me. I'm having real trouble in taking this in. What I want to say to you is this. One of the great themes of the Christian gospel is that it's about something so wonderful, so amazing, that actually we find it very difficult to take in. And the danger is that we reduce reality to what we can take in instead of expanding our minds to the way reality actually is. Now, tomorrow is Trinity Sunday. So if you're one of those churches that take this sort of thing seriously, you're getting a sermon on the Trinity. Uh, and probably one of the things that your preachers will talk about is this. We mustn't bring God down to our level. We mustn't dilute God. We mustn't reduce God to something that we can easily understand. We've got to be able to take God in, to in effect understand God as he really is. Otherwise, we lose his glory, his majesty, and all those things. So one of the things I want to say is you mustn't feel worried that our culture finds it difficult to understand Jesus Christ. What we do need to think about is ways in which we can begin to open this up and enable our culture to understand more about who Jesus is and why he matters so much. And I want to make just two points briefly to set the context. Number one, we need to realize that in trying to explain Jesus, we are in effect in danger of reducing him. There's a point C.S. Lewis made again and again and again. He said there is a danger that we present Christ in terms of theories about Christ. What we've got to try and do is ensure we present Jesus Christ and try and tease out what is so special, what is so important about him. A theory is in effect a reduction of Jesus to something we can manage. And that is why Aslan is so important in Narnia, because Aslan is magnificent. He's noble. He's something that really challenges people. 
And if you read, for example, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you see a constant refrain, Aslan, he's not a tame lion. In other words, he's not something we can manage. He's not something we can reduce to our level. We've got to take him as he is. So what we're going to begin to do is to look at ways of presenting Jesus Christ, which will enable us to connect up with our culture. And in many ways, what we need to do is think apologetically. What I mean by that is we say, right, how am I best going to explain this in ways that will connect up with my audience? In other words, it's not merely about me understanding this. It's about how best to connect up with an audience so they begin to say, I see what you mean. I get it. And that's a very important point to make. So let's begin to think about that. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ using a number of approaches, and in each case, what I'm going to do is, in effect, work its angles with you. And I'm sure as I do this, you'll think of much more that needs to be said. But my job is to stimulate you, to help you think this thing through, and I'm going to give you some material, certainly, but you'll find that you have lots of ideas of your own as well. Let me begin by giving you an analogy. I want you to imagine that you are doing a little experiment that many of you may have done years ago when you studied physics. You shine a beam of white light through a prism, and the light is broken up into its constituent colors. It's like a rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Now, just see that in your mind's eye. Now, here's the point I want to make. The prism doesn't invent the colors. They're already there in the white light. What the prism does is to separate them out so we can see each of the colors individually and appreciate them. They're all there. What we need to do is separate them out so you can see and appreciate them individually. Now, here's the application of the analogy. The gospel, the gospel proclamation is rich and complex. And one of the things that we need to do is separate all the ideas out so we can appreciate each aspect individually. And apologetically, here's why this is so important. Because each of those aspects of the Christian faith will connect up especially well with a particular group of people. That's the theory. Let's do some application. I want you to think about the meaning of the cross. Supposing I were to say to you, right, what is the cross all about? I think we'd find lots of answers because the New Testament is very rich in this area. What I'm going to do is identify four of the areas in the New Testament which help us understand the cross. You'll probably want to add more. That's absolutely fine. I'm just going to choose four, and then I'm going to work their angles with you. What is the significance of the cross? 
Now, when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes it absolutely clear that Jesus died for our sins. In other words, there's a historical event, Jesus died, and then there is its deeper significance. He died for our sins. So history and theology, if you like, come together. So what is this all about? Well, here are four themes I think you will see in the New Testament preaching about the cross. Number one, the cross and resurrection of Christ are about victory over sin and death. That's in 1 Corinthians 15 and lots of other places. Number two, it's all about salvation, forgiveness. Very important theme. Number three, it's all about a demonstration of the love of God for each of us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. A very important theme. And fourthly, it's about healing. It's about putting us back together again. It's about renewal and restoration. Now, yes, there's more we can say, but I'm just going to look at these four and work them apologetically. Now, here is the question you need to ask. We're not doing theology this afternoon. We're doing apologetics. So each of these four themes, victory, forgiveness, love, healing, how would those connect up with different audiences? Let's work our way through this. In the first place, the cross and resurrection of Jesus is about hope. It's about victory. It's about a realization that death is not the end. Socrates may have shown us how to die with dignity, but Jesus enables us to die in hope. That's a very different idea altogether. I'm sure all of you could give a brilliant account of why this theme of the gospel is so important to you. But you can see, I think, that this theme of hope, this theme of victory over death, is going to speak very powerfully to a lot of people. People who haven't begun to live because they're so frightened of dying. And one of the things that you can say is, look, try seeing it this way. If Jesus is, as the New Testament says, he is, then to enfold Jesus through faith, to embrace him, is about sharing in this hope of resurrection and eternal life. It means we do not need to be afraid of death anymore. And many of you will have read books that talk about this deep-seated human fear of death. And Christianity is able to be deadly realistic. A worldview that cannot deal with death is going nowhere because it is the ultimate reality for many people. And by God's grace, we have this wonderful theme that speaks into a culture that won't talk about death because it is so frightening. I don't know how many of you like watching Woody Allen films. It's one of my many failings. 
Um, and, but this is one from Hannah and her sisters, which you may have seen. Uh, Woody Allen um, uh, goes to see his doctor, and um, he thinks he has a brain tumor. Now, in fact, he has a, a cold. But anyway, for a while, he thinks he's got a brain tumor, and he says, my God, I'm going to die. He says, I can handle this. This is okay. Five seconds later, he wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I can't cope with this. And he, he's shivering because he knows, he knows that in the depths of the night, he just can't cope with this truth. So one of the points I'm trying to make here very simply is this. Part of the gospel proclamation about the identity and the significance of Jesus Christ is that to reach out to him in faith is to have real hope that this man who God raised from the dead also makes it possible for us to have hope in the face of death. What I want to say to you very clearly is that for a lot of people, that is going to change everything. You can talk about the difference it makes to your story. You can help your audience see how it's going to change their story as well. It's part of the gospel proclamation. But by God's grace, there's even more to the gospel proclamation than that. It's also about salvation. It's about forgiveness. So let's look at that and ask apologetically, how do we use that? There are many people in our culture who are under a burden of guilt because of something they did or something that was done to them. And I've had people say to me, we cannot live until this burden of guilt is taken away. And as I'm talking, there are probably people listening right here or indirectly through the video who will say, I know somebody like that. And here's the point I want to make. Apologetically, if you start talking about the ability of Christ to take away a burden of guilt so we can walk tall and walk free and walk forgiven, then that is going to change everything for some people. And that's something I think we really need to take with very great seriousness. Yes, it's another aspect of the gospel proclamation. I'm not saying, look, you've got four things. You've got victory, you've got forgiveness, you've got love, you've got healing. You choose one and that's it. No, they are all part of this. But what you, are, what you need to realize is that each of these aspects of the gospel speaks powerfully to a particular group of people. For some people, the door which leads to faith is about victory over death. For others, the door that leads to faith will be removal of a burden of guilt. For others, it will be love. But for some, my second point, this is the key theme, real forgiveness of real sins. Let's move on and look at the third the whole idea of love, that in Christ's death on the cross, we see his absolute commitment to us. There was nothing else that he could give 
It was all given for us on the cross. And you know, when I read those passion narratives on Good Friday especially, I very often linger over the bit where the crowds make fun of Jesus and they say, come down from the cross and save yourself. But you see, my brothers and sisters, he stayed there and he saved us instead. And that is about the love of a Savior, the love of a God who gave everything. He died so that we might live. That is love. In 1 John 4, we have this wonderful declaration, God is love. But then it's spelt out, God shows his love in sending Christ as an atonement for our sins. God acts. He does something to show the full extent of his love. It's a wonderful part of the gospel proclamation. Very moving, I'm sure, to all of you. But apologetically, it speaks very, very powerfully to those who feel, I am nothing. I don't matter to anyone. I am insignificant. There's just no point in going on. Because this aspect of the cross speaks of a God who loves us, who loves those who have yet to discover him. So much Christ came here to die to bring us back to him. And I think that's something enormously important we need to explain to people. You think nobody cares about you. The guy who really matters, God, did this for you. Are you going to respond by embracing him as he longs to embrace you? So that's another apologetic aspect of the cross you could talk about. And finally, healing. We live in a broken world where people very often feel that they are falling to bits. Very often we look at society and wonder what on earth is going on? What can be done to put it back together again? And that's true of each of us as well. The theme that Christ is the great healer resonates with people down the ages. It's all about binding wounds. It's all about putting things back together. It's all about enabling people to overcome their limitations and do some good things. It's there in the gospel proclamation. And for many people, they're going to say, this is me. I need to hear that. That's speaking right to me. This Jesus guy, he's the one who can bind my wounds and help me walk again. Now, I've just looked very briefly at four themes from the gospel. You could add many others. But what I want you to notice is the method. The method is to say, right, how does this work out apologetically? How do I take this and use it in explaining what Christianity is and the difference it makes to people? What is the cash value? What is the way in which the rubber hits the road of life with this aspect of the gospel proclamation? And by God's grace, you and I have been entrusted with a 
wonderful proclamation which is able to speak to people powerfully. And you know, I want to go back to a theme I mentioned in an earlier talk, telling our story. Because for many of you, as you tell your story, these themes of victory, of salvation, of love, of binding up wounds will be part of your narrative. And remember, every time you tell your story to somebody, it's in effect saying this could be your story as well. It's an invitation to somebody else to say, look what I've discovered, what I've found about Jesus Christ. It's changed my life and it could change yours as well. So we need, I think, to think apologetically. But let's move on because I want to talk about now some other themes relating to Jesus Christ. What I'm going to do here, if I may, is move to John's Gospel. I'm going to look at one of the most distinctive themes in John's Gospel, the so-called I am sayings. There are seven of these. I'm just going to look at three. And again, I want to teach you a method. And the method is this. How does this I am saying help me explain the gospel, make connections with my audience, whether my audience is a big group like this or just the person next door I'm talking to. It doesn't make any difference. It's trying to make a connection between Jesus Christ and our culture and a person. I'm going to look at three I am sayings. I am the bread of life. That's John 6. I am the light of the world. That's John 8. And I am the good shepherd. That's John 10. Now, as I said, there are others, and you can take the same method and use it with them afterwards. But just bear with me as I think this one through with you. I am the bread of life. Let's start with that word, I. Jesus is saying, me. It's about a relationship with me. It's not about ideas. It's about a transformed personal relationship that, in effect, part of the Christian gospel is about encountering Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, as happened with Paul, echoing the themes we see in the New Testament. It's about Jesus Christ personally being able to transform people's existence. It's a reminder that just as Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, that same risen Christ encountered us and will encounter many others, sometimes through us. So each of us has a very special role to play in God's providence. I am the bread of of life. What a wonderful summary of so many themes in the gospel. It tells us something about who Jesus Christ is, but it also tells us something about who we are, what our problem is, and what can be done about it. I am the bread of life. What is that saying about who Jesus is? It's emphasizing 
that here is someone who is able to satisfy the deepest spiritual hungering of the human race. We are empty, but by God's grace, Christ fills us. It is a wonderful theme. Our problem is hunger. We are empty. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot resource ourselves. And in God's grace, he gives us a Savior who is able to speak to us, to come to us, and to fill us. Just as God gave manna to Israel in the wilderness, he gives Christ to each of us and invites us to feed on him. And that image of feeding on Christ is so powerful. It's not just about saying, yes, he's there. It's about saying, I want him to be part of my deepest being. I want him to be part of my life. I want to have this intimate relationship with him, feeding on Christ. He is the one who is able to give me meaning, significance, and life in the proper sense of that word. Remember how the passage goes on. Anyone who eats that bread, they're going to die. They're going to be hungry again. Anyone who eats this bread that I will give, they will have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there are two Greek words for life. One of them is bios. It's a word from which we get biology. It just means physical existence, getting by from one day to the next. Then there's a different word, zoe. Maybe somebody in the audience called zoe. It's a wonderful word. It means life in all its fullness, life with purpose, life with meaning, life that is worth living. And the gospel is about, in effect, stop just existing, start to live. And Jesus Christ makes that possible. That seems to me to be a wonderful summary of both our situation. We are empty and hungry. We cannot change our own situation unless somebody else can. We're lost. And alongside that, Jesus is the one who comes, the bread of life. I have come so that you may have life in all its fullness. People so often say Christianity doesn't affirm life, but we need to say it does. Not just existence, but something so much deeper. I am the bread of life. You know, when you go home tonight, you get out a piece of paper and write down, I am the bread of life, and you write down what you could do with that. How you would explain it, how you'd make connections, and I'm sure you'll do this better than I can. But the point is, there's so much in there apologetically about what Christianity is and how it connects up with humanity. Secondly, I am the light of the world. It's a beautiful statement. What does it mean? Again, the emphasis is on Jesus. Jesus as a person the one who enters the world to relate to us, to change us. But look at the imagery. 
light. What's that all about? When I was at university, um, I had a room in a very old part of the college. And it was really nice. There were very old walls. There were very old carpets. And you know, at night it looked really good. Then in the morning, the sunlight came in. And I could see the wallpaper was actually peeling from the walls. The carpet was in a terrible state. Light showed up things for what they really are. Christ is the one who shows us up for what we really are. He brings home to us how much we need redemption and then shows us he is the one who brings that redemption. He's the light who shows us up, not in a merciless way to humiliate us, but rather as a doctor might say to you, you have diabetes, there is something we can do about this. The gospel diagnoses us first as those who need healing, but then it says there is healing that lies to hand. Recognizing we need healing, we need forgiveness, is the starting point for this whole process of transformation that the gospel brings. Light shows things up for what they really are. We need to help people to see you can't live a lie. You need to face up to the way things really are, and that's when things really begin. Secondly, light is about guidance. If you are lost, then the city on the hill that can be seen in the darkness helps you find your way home. We do live in a dark world, and by God's grace, Christ is the light of the world who says, first of all, there is a home for you, and secondly, enables us to find our way home. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So light is about, in effect, helping people to realize that they are in trouble, but also reassures them there is a home and they can get back there. And finally, a theme that would delight C.S. Lewis, light shows things up as they really are. It enables us to see not the shadows, but the realities. It allows us to see things as they really are. It means that we look at reputations, at riches, and see them in a different way. They may matter to others, but to us, they are not of ultimate importance. One of my favorite works is by a man called Thomas Akempis. It's called The Imitation of Christ, written in the 14th century. And he talks about everything the world really values. And then he says, I look at the crucified Christ. And here's the punchline. And the glory of the world fades away. Why? Because I see it in a different way. I see it as it really is. And I realize there are things that are more important. Now, you could say more about the light of the world, but I want to move on and look at Christ as the good shepherd. It's a wonderful image. The idea 
that we find in the Old Testament in Psalm 23 is that of a God who journeys with us. We are not on our own. And again, that is one of the great themes apologetically we need to bring out. Why do so many people find God a comfort when Richard Dawkins says he's a tyrant? Well, one answer might be that Richard Dawkins is talking about a God he's invented rather than the God that Christians actually know. But we won't go there because we haven't time. But what we can do is say that for us, the God that we know and trust, not this fictional God Dawkins talks about, is a God who is with us always. In moments of joy, yes, but also when we journey through the valley of the shadow of death. To be a Christian is never to be on your own. It's to journey in the presence of a loving, living, and gracious God who deals with us, sorts us out, and finally brings us home. Christ is the good shepherd who gives, who lays down his life for the sheep. So again, we see two wonderful themes. Number one, the Savior who journeys with us. Apologetically, how many people feel lonely, abandoned, purposelessness. Christ is one who is with us. If you go to Rome and look at the catacombs, you'll see that the first Christians painted images on the wall to help them cope with being persecuted. And one of them is Christ as the good shepherd carrying his sheep on his shoulders. He was with them even in the darkest moments as he is with us as well. That's wonderful news for us as Christians, but it's also something that will speak deeply to those who are wondering about the meaning of life and are beginning to sense that Christianity might say some things that could be life-giving and life-changing. But secondly, it's not just about Christ being with us, important though that is. It's about Christ willingly laying down his life for each of us. I find that thought humbling. I often say to myself, if Christ knew what I like, and of course he does know what I'm like, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. But grace is about God knowing us exactly as we are, and loving us, and changing us, and making us into what he would have us be. And that image of Christ as the Good Shepherd seems to me to speak so powerfully of those great themes of the gospel. It's good for us, but it's also good as we try to explain our faith to those who are outside the churches. Now, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to end, if I may, my talk by just reciting a rather bad poem to you. Uh, when I was at school, I think my teachers were very optimistic and thought if I learned some good poems, I might become a better person. And I have to say, the experiment didn't work very well. But here is the poem. And what I want you to notice is, 
It's all about seeing things in a different way. Here we go. To men look out through the same prison bars. One sees the mud, the other the stars. See, it's not a very good poem, but do you see the point it's making? Apologetically, it's about two people being in exactly the same situation. One looks down. It sees mud. It sees the rut of life that leads only to death and decay. The other, and that's us, look up. Colossians 3, the whole idea of letting our thoughts rise heavenwards where Christ has gone before us. And we see the same world as everyone else, but we see it in a different way. We live purposefully because God journeys with us. We journey in hope because we know we are heaven-bound. We journey with joy because God is with us, even in those darker moments. And apologetically, our task is to help those around us to realize why Christians see Jesus being so important. We need to be able to explain the difference that he makes to the way we think, but the difference he also makes to the way in which we live. And then be able to say to them, this is the difference Christ makes. He's made it to me. He could make it to you as well. Let's talk about this and see where it leads us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. That was Alistair McGrath's presentation on Jesus the Lunatic and making a reasonable case for Christ in today's world from a previous unbelievable conference. Next time on the podcast, we'll hear the Q&A that took place after this. For more from the show, you can visit our show page at cslewispodcast.com. If you want to support the show from anywhere in the world, you can find links to do that with today's show as well. And don't forget to register for Unbelievable the Conference 2022 with Alistair McGrath. Unbelievable.live is the place to go for that. And the link is also with today's podcast. For now, God bless and see you next time. <laughs>